Thank you for sharing that with us. And certainly that's uh, a suitable testimony for all of us as we worship together. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to several different passages to begin with. First one in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 1. This is the message that I've been thinking about for some time. As I've looked back over my own records, I spoke on this subject back in 2009, and then I spoke on it also in 2006. But this is not a rehash. It's not preaching from the barrel. It's the same subject, but it's a brand new message. When I think sometimes of all the years that I've been preparing messages, if I never prepared another message, another new message, I could go for a very long time, and I may never need to prepare another new message unless I live to be very, very old. But I don't want to do that, ever, not unless it was absolutely necessary. So these are fresh thoughts on a subject that runs through the entire Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also... As lively stones. Now, lively is the same word here as in verse 4. Lively or living stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in Scripture Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. But unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal generation priesthood. Verse 5, holy priesthood. Now he says royal priesthood. And holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Then let's look at Revelation chapter 1. We'll start reading at verse 4. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, 
unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. One more passage back in the book of Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Very simply, it was written to a church, to an assembly of God's people. And then in verse 17, he singles out one individual, in Colossians 4.17, and say to Archippus, or Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Who was this guy, Archippus? Was he the pastor of the church? Possibly. We don't know that, but possibly. But we do know this, that he was a priest. He was a believer. And he was given the specific instruction, take heed to your ministry so that you can fulfill it. Before we go any further, let's take a moment and ask God to guide us as we look at his word. Our Father, we thank you for giving us the whole counsel of God, that you have given us all that we need to know to live a holy life, a life that will be pleasing, a life that will be preparing us for that which is yet to come. We thank you for the gift of salvation, for your abiding presence, and for making us, among other things, New Testament believer priests. Help us to recognize that truth, to recognize it in our head as well as in our heart, to know it in our practice, to know it in our persuasion day by day. We pray that the Spirit of God will guide us into a fresh and greater understanding of this body of truth, and may we honor the Lord Jesus by what we do with this truth, for we pray in his name, amen. Do you like to work? Anybody? You can talk to me. Do you like to work? No? Somebody doesn't like to work. Some people like to work. How many don't have any opinion about work? A few. Okay. Well, let me remind you that when God created man, he made man to work. Just think for a moment. Back in the garden, what was the job that Adam and Eve had? They were to dress the garden. They were to look after the garden. They were agriculturists. Adam's job was to name the animals. He was involved being a herdsman of some kind, at least to the extent of naming the animals. He had a lot of work to do. Man was made to work. It is also true that fallen man was made to work. After the fall into sin, Adam was given the job that he'd have to earn his daily bread by the sweat of his brow. He had to work. Redeemed man also has to work. We have been given jobs by God. And one of them, one of the basic jobs that God has given us, is to be New Testament believer priests. 
So while work may be a four-letter word, it is a good word. We are designed to work. And if we don't work, if we don't carry out those obligations that God has given us, we are dangerously similar to Adam at the time of the fall. Adam, before the fall, was given certain instructions. He was to dress the garden, to name the animals, to look after Eve. She was to be his suitable helper, and in that order. But he said, no, I don't want to do that. I want to be like God. I want to be beyond what my calling in life has been. And so I don't want to do that. I want something else. As New Testament believers, as Christians, we have been called to the task of being priests. It is becoming, therefore, that we take that seriously and carry out God's expectations for us day by day. It is true that Jesus is the head of the church. He is the source of our instructions. And we do well to follow those instructions, happily, compliantly. All that we do, whether in terms of ministry, whether it be singing, or giving meditations, or praying, or declaring God's truth, all of our ministry is, first of all, unto the Lord. Just keep your finger Colossians, perhaps, and go back with me to Ezekiel chapter 44. Ezekiel chapter 44, in verses 15 and 16. But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, that kept the charge of my sanctuary... When the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near to me to minister unto me. What was the first duty of the priest? To minister unto the Lord. Then verse 16, they shall enter into my sanctuary and they shall come near to my table to minister unto me. All ministry, whether it's preaching, sermons, Singing individually, corporately, congregationally is first of all to be unto the Lord. Ezekiel 44, 15 and 16. I believe, folks, if all of Christian people, truly saved people all over planet Earth this morning, were to get a hold of this truth and say, okay, this is my truth, I am going to practice the priesthood of all believers, that we would see the biggest spiritual awakening that our world has ever seen. And I believe that sincerely. This is not a peripheral thing. It is a fundamental thing. In First Peter that we read, chapter 2, First Peter is written to Christians. It is written to Christians who were suffering. It is written to Christians who were facing doctrinal challenges, both from within and from without. And what does Peter, by Holy Spirit inspiration, do? He draws their attention to their priesthood as holy priest, as royal priest before God. 
In Revelation, in chapter 1, we're setting the tone for the entire book. Chapter 1, in verse 19, gives us an outline of the whole book. The things which John had seen, the things which are the letters to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3, and then the things which shall be hereafter, after the church is gone, gone to heaven. All of those things that will take place during the time of the tribulation, Daniel's 70th week, the time of Jacob's trouble, an unprecedented time of worldwide suffering that without divine intervention would mean the annihilation of every man, woman, and child on the earth, as we know from Matthew 24 and verse 22. What does he do at the very beginning of such a book? He draws attention to the fact that we have been made priests, among other things. And then the gentleman named in Colossians 4.17 was to take heed to his ministry so that he would fulfill it. And by application, at least by application, we can apply that to our own lives. I was reading one of the commentaries by Dr. Moule, M-O-U-L-E, an old Anglican bishop from many years ago. And what he said in his commentary on Colossians 4 was to take your life and liken it to a vessel and then pour your energies into that vessel. That's a good illustration of how we are to carry out our priesthood. I'd like you to think for a moment with me, looking at the Old Testament background to priesthood. Aaron was the high priest, and he had sons who were priests. They weren't asked, what would you like to do in life? They were told, you are priests. They became priests because of their relationship to Aaron. By birth, they became priests. In the New Testament, we have a great high priest who is Jesus, and the book of Hebrews teaches us that repeatedly. And we are believer priests because of our spiritual birth. We have been born into the family of God. By virtue of our relationship to the Lord Jesus, we are New Testament believer priests by relationship. Those Old Testament priests were given a cleansing that was once for all, and we know that from Exodus 29 in verse 4, it was a cleansing once for all. You might think of it as a great bath. Then they went into the court through the one door, past the brazen altar, But before they could enter into the presence of God, they had to wash many washings at the laver. Perhaps you can picture that in your mind. Many washings, but one great cleansing. As New Testament believer priest, we have had one great cleansing. We know from Hebrews 10 in verse 10, which says, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's our position. Yet we also know from 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is sins, plural. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We've been given one great standing, one great bath, so to speak, but many cleansings. So there is a parallelism that is evident. 
We know from the first Peter 2 and verse 9 that we are a peculiar people. Well, the world may look at us and say, you're all a bunch of odd ducks. But that's not what 1 Peter 2.9 means. Peculiar means that we belong to him. We are a people for his possession. Now, we might be odd too, but that's another story. We are people that belong to him as priests. And we have a job to do before him. Now, all of that is by way of introduction. My first point is very simple. We have a sacred priestly ministry before the Lord, before him. Christians have a spiritual sacrifice to offer. So my first point is this, that we have a sacred spiritual priestly ministry before the Lord. And I'd stress that, before the Lord. As priests, we have sacrifices to offer, just like the Old Testament priests long ago. We're not bringing blood offerings. We don't have to kill animals. We don't have to bring those kinds of sacrifices, but we do have sacrifices to bring. Very simply, just turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15. Hebrews 13 and verse 15, which says, By him, therefore, let us offer, let us, New Testament believer priests, offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. So there is the sacrifice of praise, not just words, but that praise that comes from within us and that wells up and says, thank you for saving me. Thank you for being at work, for guiding, providing, navigating us through the rapids of life. Thank you. Praising him. As we sit at his feet and behold the wonder of his person, thank you for your greatness, for your work, your program. Praising, the sacrifices of praise. Look at verse 16. Here is the sacrifice of communication. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Folks, every Sunday, every time when we come together, we need to come with that sacrifice of communicating, of sharing a little bit with one another of what God has been bringing to our attention. That's the sacrifice of communication. We're also in the same verse to be doing good. A little word of appreciation, of kindness, going out of our way to make someone's life a little gentler, a little sweeter, a little more spiritual, a little more encouraging. But to do good... And to communicate, forget not. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 18, we are to bring material things. Now when we think of that, we think of it in terms of money, and that's not wrong, but it's not all that there is to it. But we are to bring the sacrifices of material things before God. We know from Romans chapter 12 that we are to offer 
our bodies, not just our elbows and kneecaps and so on, but our whole being, our, our physical being, our emotional being, our intellectual being, body, soul, and spirit. We are to be living sacrifices, holy, acceptable unto God, and that being our reasonable service. We know from Psalm 4 and verse 5 that we are to, to offer the sacrifice of righteousness, that what we do in life is marked with honesty, marked with integrity, with holiness. Every order of Old Testament priest had something to do. Every New Testament priest has something to do. <clears throat> now, if one is saved, you are a priest. I don't think you should write home to your unsaved friends and tell them you're a priest, especially if you're female. But that doesn't change the fact that you are a priest. It doesn't mean that you put your, gentlemen, that you put your shirt on backwards and dress up like mother and want to be called father, but it does mean you are a priest. You have something to do to offer sacrifices before the Lord. Christians have a sanctified worship to offer. If we had lots of time, we could go back into Exodus chapter 30, and there we would find that the priests were to offer no strange incense. The incense that was burned before the Lord had to have exactly the right ingredients. It had to have exactly the right proportion of ingredients. And it was to be burned only with fire that came from off the altar, the brazen altar. No strange incense and no strange fire. On penalty of death. That's pretty serious. God took that very seriously. What happened to Aaron's two sons in Leviticus chapter 10, Nadab and Abihu? They offered strange fire, probably somewhat intoxicated, but they offered strange fire, and God said, that's no good, I can't accept that. And they lost their lives under the judgment of God. Were they priests? Yes. But priests were never allowed to do their own thing. They had to come before God in God's way. It wasn't a personality thing. It wasn't a thing determined by culture. It was determined solely by God. No strange fire and no strange incense. In Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 11, they were never to mix honey with the sacrifices. Now, honey in Scripture is a symbol of the sweetness of nature. They didn't want, God didn't want anything from nature. Nature being under the curse and the judgment of God. So all of those things that we might do in the energy of our flesh was and were to be excluded. There was to be no leaven in the offerings. Leaven in scripture is a symbol of sin. Nothing tainted by sin and nothing containing the sweetness of nature None of the above was to be offered to God. They had to come God's way, following God's order, 
in God's time. Those Old Testament priests were anointed with holy anointing oil. And again, that holy anointing oil had to be by God's specifications. It was not to touch their skin. That's significant. I suspect that that holy anointing oil was very fragrant. You might think of it as a perfume or an aftershave or something of that nature. And they were told, you must use it only for one purpose. The anointing of the priests. On penalty of death. We are not free to come wandering into God's presence any old way. We are not to be offering God strange fire or unholy incense. Those priests could not wear that for any other purpose other than for ministry unto the Lord. We have been anointed. And we have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. We know that from 1 John 2 and verse 27, where the initial act of the Holy Spirit's indwelling is our holy anointing. Those Old Testament priests were marked with the blood of the sacrifice. The blood of the sacrificial animal was put on the tip of their right ear and on the thumb on their right foot, a right hand rather, and on the big toe of their right foot. They were marked with the blood concerning their faculties, concerning the things they engage in, and concerning their pathway. We too have been marked by the blood of the sacrifice, sacrifice with a capital S, marking our faculties, marking the things we do, and the pathway that we engage in in this life. Those Old Testament priests were set apart from all other tasks so that they could devote their time and their energy, their talents, to one primary purpose, ministry unto the Lord. As New Testament believer priests, we are to be a separated people, what I've said many times already. We don't want to look like the world. We don't want to sound like the world. And what I've said before is we don't want to even smell like the world. And that's true. It should be true. That in our singing, in our music, we don't want to sound like a rock band. We want to sound like music that is fit for heaven, that is distinct from the world about us. What is it that separates us from the world? It is not because we poke our nose in the air and think we're better than anybody. What separates us from the world is the presence of God. And we know that from Exodus 33 and verse 16. So that in our presentation, in our attitudes, in our sound, in our music, in the way we conduct ourselves, we want to be a distinct people separated from the world. Now, we can't change our past, but we can distance ourselves from it, and we should and must. As New Testament believer priest, we have not only a sanctified worship to offer, but we also have a special ministry of intercession. 
we are to intercede. The Old Testament high priest entered into the Holy of Holies, into the tabernacle, into the holy place, past the table of showbread, the candlestick, the golden altar or the altar of incense, past the veil and into the the presence of God where the Shekinah glory was over the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. And he could only do that once a year. And he couldn't go without blood. And as he stood before the mercy seat with the two cherubim and their wings outstretched, looking down, he sprinkled the blood. As New Testament believer priest, we can go boldly, not irreverently, but confidently into God's presence at will. Many times, every day, every evening, any waking hour, we have that freedom of access into God's presence. That Old Testament high priest went in with the blood, and he did it, sprinkled the blood for himself and for the people. We have the ministry of intercession for saved people, for fellow believers, and for unsaved people. We have a ministry of intercession. Can we do that on our own? Yes. But we are also to do it collectively. Just look at Colossians chapter 4 once again, if you're not already there. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2 says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Now, continue in prayer is what is called cohortative. It is that we are all to do it together. So all of the folks in the assembly at Colossae were all of them to get together to pray. Just go over to Hebrews chapter 10 for a moment. Hebrews 10 in verse 25. We'll start reading at verse 24, which says, Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now, sometimes we put a period in there where it doesn't belong. Let us consider one another to provoke. It's not what it says. To provoke unto love and to good works. How do we do that? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. So we are to come together collectively to intercede on behalf of others. My second major point. Christians have a sacred priestly ministry towards others. First of all, before the Lord, and then we have a ministry to carry out towards others, to other Christians, to edify one another. And I see that in 2 Corinthians. Let's turn to that, chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 19. Again, think ye that we excuse ourselves unto you. We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, dearly beloved, for your edifying. We have a priestly ministry to edify one another. And that's why we do Bible sharing, so that we can edify 
and one another. And we're doing that as unto the Lord. We are to edify not only individuals, but the whole body of Christ. And I see that in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 12. Ephesians 4, in verse 12, says, For the perfecting of the saints. That has the idea of setting a broken bone. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we have a ministry, a priestly ministry, to build up one another in our most holy faith. Let's turn with me to Jude, the book of Jude, verses 20 and 21. It says, But ye, beloved, and notice how this word beloved, sometimes in the older translations prior to 1611, was translated as darlings. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. We have a ministry to one another. And we also have a ministry to the unsaved. Our faithfulness will either enhance or undo our testimony. Our faithfulness in devotions, in prayer, in the fellowship of God's people, will either say, yes, Jesus is worth the effort, or no, he's not. It is really that simple. In our relationship to the unsaved, like those Old Testament priests, marked with the blood and marked with that holy anointing oil, there was a savor, an odor about them that betrayed where they had been, in whose presence they had come, and what they were doing. The same thing is true for us. That the, the savor of our life is to speak volumes to the unsaved as they see a separated people marked with that holy anointing oil, marked with that blood, marked with that dedication to the ministry of the Lord. That is true. We have a ministry to others, to one another as believers, to the unsaved, and also in the context of our own homes. I think of Job, chapter 1, verse 5. Every morning, Job made intercession for his ten children and lifted them up in prayer in, in a variety of ways, but in prayer before the Lord, interceding, just in case they had strayed spiritually. We have an obligation to read God's word and to give the sense. We know that from Nehemiah chapter 8. We are to teach our children God's word. We know that from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 9. We are to train up our children in the right ways. We know that from Proverbs 22.6. And we are to bring them up in the nurture and admonition. That's education and encouragement in the Lord. And we know that from Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Very quickly, a third point. So we have a ministry towards the Lord 
towards others, but we also have a ministry to ourselves. Third point. Christians have a sacred priestly ministry towards self. Obedience to Scripture. And personal holiness are essential. If that priest got some dirt on his hands, he would have to go and wash. If he got some dirt on his feet, he would have to go and wash. Obedience and personal holiness are essential for priestly ministry. We know from James 1.27 that we are to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Do we want to look like the world? Do we want to act like the world? Do we want to think like the world, believe like the world? In our words, in our music? And the answer is no. Do we want to sound like a bunch of cannibals jumping around a great big black pot boiling some poor missionary? Do we want to sound like that? Not at all. We want to have the sound, not just, not just music, and I'm not trying to pick on that, but not just music, but the, the sound of our life is to mark us as a distinct people who belong to the Lord. We must give attention to reading 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13. Why? Because we are slavishly driven to read? No, because we want to. Because it's the burden, the hunger within us to know God's truth and to absorb it. We are to come boldly before the throne of grace on behalf of our own lives. We read earlier in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are to lay aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings and to desire the sincere milk of the word and to grow in it, to grow in it. I think we can take a little admonition from the Song of Solomon in chapter 2 and verse 15 that we are to take those little foxes that spoil the vines, those little things that creep into our minds, into our lives, into our practice, into our relationships, little grudges, thoughts of pride, thoughts of anger, laziness, selfishness, sinful ambition. We are to pull those little things out of our lives and to get rid of them before they become monsters, before they devour us. We are to take heed to our own soul, as we know from Deuteronomy chapter 4. Repeatedly we read through Deuteronomy, take heed unto thy soul, over and over again. That part of us which is conscious of self, that, that part that says, how am I doing? Am I happy? Am I sad? Am I jealous? Am I angry? Am I selfish? Am I, and you can fill in a hundred blanks. Take heed to your soul. If we are priests, and we are, and we become defiled, we can't help others. We can't minister to the Lord. We can't. There is a whole other line of truth that likens the believer to soldiers. If we become casualties, we can't fight. We can't function as soldiers. If we are in some way disqualified from being priests, our priesthood will be 
nothing. It will be unacceptable in God's sight. It is so important that there be a holy, respectful love for the Lord and for others. Not just our immediate friends, but all of God's people. A holy compassion for those who belong to the Lord. Now the truth is, folks, as a Christian, you are a priest. That isn't subject to question. But what is subject to question is how are we carrying out our priesthood? We have a ministry to the Lord first, to others second, and to ourselves. Let's bow together. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to be priests. Help us to take this seriously. And perhaps today and throughout the journey of the rest of our lives, to function as priest in all of the various callings and capacities that you have for us. And may we honor your name as we obey and comply with this body of truth. For we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.